mehinuiki koto katoa ko superman toko ingoa. I'm Superman and this is Kurututuru, Real Gold. In this podcast, we talk about items from Auckland Library's Heritage Collections on display in the Kurututuru Real Gold case at Tamaki Pataka Korero, the Central City Library. Today, I'm having a korero with Robert Eriwera, the Poe for Kairi Māori Taonga Toko Iho, Māori Specialist with our Taonga Heritage Collections. Tēnā koe, Rob. Nānō koe, Sue. What are we looking at here in the Korotuturu case? Uh, being uh, te marama o te, o te reo Māori, we thought we'd put some um, early printed Māori material um, in the case to, uh, to represent uh, uh, the month of te reo Māori. Uh, so... The collection is quite extensive um, mm. and begins at a period of time about uh, the first item that was printed in Te Reo Māori was in 1815. Uh, on display we have um, the second item which is um, from 1820. Wow. So, um, and it's said that there is about 16,000 uh, printed um, items or taonga in Te Reo Māori uh, from 1815 to the 1900s mm. and just stopped there and so I don't know how many more after that uh, follows on but so that's all in Te Reo Māori. Wow, so these are really very precious items, they are rare. Uh, the first item is, uh, was also done by Kendall. Mm. This is the second item. Okay. There's only one uh, of, the, the, of the first item that is in the Auckland War Memorial Museum. Okay. So there's only one item known to exist mm. of that. And so that would be the first printed um, t- um, Māori, in Te Reo Māori uh, book. Um, so... But this is his second um, item that he contributed to. So there's three items. Uh, This is from the period of um, uh, 1820. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a grammar of the vocabulary of New Zealand, the language of New Zealand. Mm. The second item comes from uh, a little bit later on, just after the signing of the treaty in 1843. Um, This is called Ngā Tamariki. Um, and it, it's from that period of time. And the third item, which is a Māori newspaper, which is from the period of 1860. Um, it's the proceedings of the Kohimarama Conference. Mm. Selected primarily because of its relationship to Kohimarama or Mission Bay um, and Polder to Haere and... Uh, the issues that they were dealing with at that time. Hmm. This first one here, that was printed in 1820, I mean the first one in the case, I know it's the second book that's been printed um, in Te Reo Māori, was actually printed in the UK, is that right? Based on information gathered here. There were two visits that led Hmm. to this publication. Um, Kendall had arranged with two other chiefs um, to to assist um, to go to England 
1818, mm. um, which was Tuai and um, Titore. Uh, they became ill there and were unable to continue on to contribute to this. Um, but in later, two years later, they returned back to England, to Cambridge, um, to Professor Lee, who was an Arabic um, specialist linguist um, in Cambridge mm -hmm. in, in England. So these two chiefs, and those are renowned chiefs that are recognised, uh, um, uh, Hongihika and, and Waikato, uh, the other two um, contributed to to this publication under the guidance of um, of um, Professor Lee. Mm. Um, so it's not a it's not a super slim volume. I mean, you've got it open here on, on page one hundred and nine, and it's sort of about halfway through the book. So it's got um, seems to have a a great deal of content. What what are we actually? looking at in these open pages? Well, in these pages, there is a funeral ode. Um, so it not only looked at the syntax and, and the alphabet and um, sentence structures, mm. there, um, there were also, and there's a, also on that same page there, you have um, the baptismal service, um, a kind of a karakia that was used. Um, and this is a, a quite a renowned um, a funeral ode, or what they term as a funeral ode. Mm. Um, I was going to ask you, as somebody who is um, fluent in the reo, what what do you see of the reo in this in this time of this publish? Is it familiar? It's quite astonishing how how quite accurate they are in the sense of mm. capturing it. But you have to decipher it because um, the phonetics that they heard, um, they spout it to, to that, and that's why they have um, uh, i, idungane, but it's irungane. But um, so you know, to them in in their ears and how their ears are tuned, uh, their phonetics is uh, that's why they wrote uh, like that. But it didn't take too long for them to to start understanding and and uh, correcting it mm. but otherwise it's pretty accurate and, and you can decipher it and some interesting vocab some of the vocab was like oh they're not using that word anymore or you know so um and this is a specific dialect because it's coming from two northern representatives mm. of um of Ngāpui, so... And there's a tribute, there's something to do with the Tui? Song of that's the a song of the Tui, yeah. yes. It's quite an interesting song too. Um, Would you like to read a little bit of it for us? Well, we use this as a kind of a tauparapara. Uh, ko, uh, ko tū koe, ko rongo koe. Uh, ko te manuwhiri. Nau mai, mui mui hia mai te kuri. Mui mui. We still use that expression, mui mui mai te kuri. Um, so it's still used. Ko tu koe, ko rongo koe. 
Um, but it's interesting that they say it's a song for the tui. But I think it was more of a, of a uniting to unify, to unify people together. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I'm not too sure whether they mean uh, tui in the sense of joining together or the bird. Mm-hmm. But um, that's what those words do. It's kind of an incantation. We use it as a beginning and an opening. Right. Um, for visitors. Because mm. mm, I was going to say, like, is there actually a connection between manuhiri, the word, you know, for, yes. for visitors, and manu, the birds? Yes. Mm. And the relationship of birds um, alighting and also settling. So the, when the birds come and, and land on the land or, or on the branch. So, mm. And, you know, that's why they have greenery too, you know. Like being like a tree, not only like seaweed or a rimu, you know, in the, in, in the sea, which is part of that too, you know, and part of or being a tree in the sense blowing in the wind. Mm-hmm. So... The symbolisms are quite beautiful in the sense of that. Mm. Isn't language magic how it, it captures our world? So all these three that we have in the case, provenance-wise, I see they are attributed to uh, Gray's collection, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, Gray um, collected a lot of early published material from many other cultures. Mm. He was very astute in the sense of um, capturing the first publications. Um, And he has a number, uh, in his collection, he has a number of indigenous publications, the first examples of them, and complete Bibles and, you know. Mm. And uh, sometimes there's annotations, isn't there? People have written notes into, um, into some of the... Pages. Well, that annotation is really important because he's making a statement that this item, um, called Ngā Tamariki, he's stating there in that annotation that this was um, translated by Elizabeth Colenso. Ah. And in that annotation there, he's saying that he believes it to be accurate Waikato dialect. So most people wouldn't notice that on that page. And why I use that page? It's because um, this is a translated um, from, it's called The Little Wanderers. It's a children's story. Mm. So the author of it is Samuel Wilberforce. Um, And he never came to New Zealand. Um, he was a prolific uh, kind of statesman in England, um, of course, having um, his titles within, within his faith. But he was um, one of the foremost outspoken people against Darwin's theory of um, evolution. So... That even I find very interesting that something that he has written has been translated by Elizabeth Colenso um, into Te Reo Māori. Mm. 
but it's Elizabeth, you know. She was a, a, a Fairburn, and she was the daughter of Sarah, uh, Sarah Tuckwell and William Fairburn. And she was born in Kirikiri in 1821, okay, in the mission, um, part of the mission society. And um, um, she was, so she would be quite early on in the sense of um, a, as a European in New Zealand and being born here. Yeah. Um, so that's what was exciting about the sighting, um, this Tonga. Um, she would have been well immersed hey, in a Māori world in those days as a... Well, many of them were, yeah, in yeah. a sense, and they had to be. Mm. Um, and so she, 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 she grew up speaking Māori language. Mm. Um, and by the time she was the age of 19, um, she was teaching Māori children at her father's mission in, in Maraitai. So she stayed in there and stayed with the Martin family at, at um, Kirikiri, and her father had come down to, um, well, it was called Auckland then, um, to Maraitai and set up a mission there. So she went, she, then she, um, she stayed and returned, and when she was 19, she came to um, Auckland and to Maraitai mm. and um, started teaching in the in the real, she was a fluent speaker, and she's a, a, such an extraordinary woman that I don't believe that she has been acknowledged in the sense of her contribution um, concerning um, the early Maori printed mm. material in Te Reo. But um, she has such an interesting um, background in the sense because then she returned back to England for a short period of time because of her son and wanted to be educated. So she wanted him to be at Cambridge there too. Um, so while she was there, she was part of the editing team that was over in England in the 1860s um, to complete the Old Testament. Okay. And um, she also did the New Testament and she made corrections and alterations. So she contributed strongly. And this last piece you mentioned was a, a newspaper, um, or a bound series of, of newspapers. Do we have many Māori language newspapers in our collection? I know that you can find some of them on Papers Past these days. They've we have all of them. But we've <laughs> got the... <laughs> we have all the examples of the early um, um, Māori newspapers. Mm. Um, Pihoi, we have hoki oil. Um, so those are, are also here too. So we're very fortunate to have um, uh, have copies of those. Um, but this one is bilingual. Ah, interesting. So um, it was part of the te karere, um, or the messenger. Mouldy messenger. Yeah, to cut it there before the TV's. The yeah, TV I just version. I just cut a bit of that short. So yeah. this was the original oh, tekare right. there. Um, so um, the Mouldy messenger, or the mm. um, it was um, called. So um, and that's from 1860. This one, and it's extraordinary because it covers a period of one month. 
mm, July, oh, July to August, um, which was the sitting of of mm. these over two hundred um, Maori chiefs that were invited by the governor, um, and it was quite a, a difficult time politically. Um, concerning, see, the Taranaki Wars, but also the Kingitanga in the sense, and, you know, there was a bit of indissension at that time. So, mm. as you can see, it was prior to um, the Raupatu. So it's mm. just three so years prior to mm. that day, mm. and leading then leading to the confiscation of, mm. of their whenua. So at that time, the Taranaki Wars was... Was um, was the conversation at that, um, and the dispute over lands, uh, but they covered a whole lot of areas uh, concerning the treaty too and um, the provisions of justice and how it should be so who dealt was, with. Sorry, who was um, reporting? Like it's written uh, in columns here. Yeah, one in the real one. In it's English. done by um, Mr. Wilson. It was printed by him, but he was also he also assisted in in the capturing of the real. Mm. So there were quite a number of Maori that assisted in in the capture of it too. Yeah. it's quite wonderful the how the content of it. You know, like you know what what is said, <laughs> what is decided to be said for the print is interesting too. You know, at that time. Um, See, here's um, uh, um, Makarini from Ngāti Awa, Te Awa o Te Atua, um, which is interesting, which is Whakatāni. Um, and he's saying, um, It is my opinion that the laws should be considered at some future time, or perhaps they may be re read over by each tribal individual. Let these come first. So, mm. so they're they're going into quite de depth in this sense, but there's the real there. So you know, te nanga pukupuku e mahia ina nahi kita ku fakaru me waiho nga ture ki muri me waiho rane mai ahapu e korido koe nei ki mua kaiho nga ture nga ture so. And then you got one here, this is Tangohikuwai, Ngāpuhi, from Kirikiri. Kirikiri, so you've got Paura Tuhaere there, and what they've said. Amazing. Um, kind of like verbatim. Mm. You know, I would not like to be recording. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's you quite... like me there with my, uh, with my microphone, <laughs> but into letter form. Yeah. And I also see that you've acknowledged uh, Dr. Patu Hohepa, who um, of course had a massive um, part in, in the revival and the flourishing of the real. Well, as the main label for this, this case, mm -hmm. I thought it was wonderful um, in the sense at, at that time he was Māori language um, commissioner. So in the publication, in the preface of um, books in Māori, um, in the preface he, he opened with the statement, the greatest gift England gave Māori was literacy, teaching Māori to write, 
began in 1816, and within two generations, over 80% of the Māori were literate in their own language. So too were many governors, settlers and missionaries of those times literate in Māori. Manuscripts recorded oral histories and tradition, traditional beliefs and practices, letters, biblical texts, laws and decrees, and then newspapers in Māori were some of the consequences. But this use of literacy would have been to no avail if there had not been editors and printers, as well as avid patrons and collectors of what had been written. I think that closes I it think nicely. That's a lovely close. Mm. Oh, kia ora, Rob. Thanks so much for your time. Tēnā nō, Rob.